millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world. Bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors. Covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. And welcome in, folks. We turned the calendar to fall this past week. We've had a pretty major storm move through the middle of the country and into the East Coast. And now we're settling into what the calendar says is the first weekend of fall but there's going to be some warm weather especially central parts of the country and we've got some issues to deal with in parts of the country but really overall a pretty nice uh, ease into this fall season and as we get into this back to school episode we're going to learn a little bit more as we go through this episode about seasonal allergies especially the fall allergy season kenny mendez will join me the CEO and president of the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America. And he will be talking with us about uh, some of the things that you need to know for those of you like me who suffer so greatly in this fall season. And then in our second segment, our weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond, we'll talk with John Porter, senior vice president and our chief forecaster at AccuWeather about uh, some things about flooding and also the look at the weather for the upcoming week and the weekend ahead. Friends, sit back and relax. It's time to talk about everything under the sun. Well, for those of you like me that are suffering through the sniffles and the uh, itchy eyes and the, uh, the, the the stuffed nose and forehead and those areas, especially when I'm not on my regimen of allergy medication, fall is a, a really bad time for allergies and especially some of the things that we can't see, the things that we think are causing the allergies, the goldenrod isn't necessarily the one plant that's doing it as much. And so I thought it was a good time to kind of sit back and talk to Kenny Mendez. He's the president and CEO of the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America. We talked to Kenny last year as we were in the midst of allergies and COVID. And really, all those things are still coming into play, especially when it comes to these fall allergies that are so bad. Let's talk to Kenny Mendez here on Everything Under the Sun. Kenny, it's good to have you back here on Everything Under the Sun. It's been a, a, a few months and uh, right in line with uh, I know my nose and eyes have been itching. It's that time of year when we are uh, going to talk about uh, the fall allergy season, which I know for me personally is worse than my spring allergy season. And I think, uh, you know, I think depending on the person that can be true. But, you know, before we talk about those kinds of things, I wanted to get people caught up again on what the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America is and does, and uh, what are some of the things and benefits that people and information they can get if they uh, follow the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America? Yeah, sure. Thanks for that, Dean. Uh, so we are uh, we represent the 65 million people with asthma and allergies in the United States. We're the oldest and the largest nonprofit patient organization uh, that tries to help our community. We do that through education, 
advocacy, research, and other forms of support. So we've got an online community, for example, at our website, aafa.org, where people could join and get information. They could join for free because that's what we do as a nonprofit and get uh, information and, and guidance from us and others who have asthma and allergies. You're looking at it from a kind of a broad umbrella look at uh, how to help doctors, help people, how to get people the right information so they can know what to ask for doctors and probably working uh, since you guys are based in Washington, D.C. with our government and try to making sure that we're making sure that regulations and rules are in line with helping protect people with their allergies, both uh, airborne allergies, food allergies, and asthma, which has become a big issue now, too, with air quality and health, especially as we continue to fight COVID. Absolutely. And thanks for mentioning that. Mentioning that We are based in Washington, D.C. We spend a lot of time with regulatory agencies as well to try and advocate on behalf of our community. I just met with the head of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services yesterday, along with other, other patient groups. We work with the FDA. Uh, we work with the EPA as well, because that has an impact on air and asthma and, and things that people breathe. So let's talk about this uh, phenomenon that's going on now, which is uh, a resurgence of pollen as uh, plants try to go for a last gasp. It's always funny to me to see, especially I'm, I grow dahlias, one of my favorite things to grow in the garden because it just come in so many varieties and they get really aggressive this time of year because they want to grow, grow, grow before the last available sunlight goes. And then all the pollinators are getting pretty aggressive because they're looking for their last little bite to eat before we get into winter and those kinds of things. And certainly I know, like I said up front, my fall allergies are much worse than my spring allergy situation. Um, it's it's really uh, the, the biggest culprit through a lot of North America and a lot of the United States is is the ragweed situation, which again I think people see goldenrod, which is the flashy, beautiful thing, and the, and they think that's the culprit, and it's really more the ragweed, which is not as pretty and not as evident and visible at times. It's more like the the hidden thing underneath. Yeah, so we talked about this a little bit. Uh, we started with the spring allergies last time I was on your show. In the spring, it's uh, tree pollen, some grasses, and then flowers. But in the fall, it really is, as you said, ragweed. That's a major pollen allergen. It blooms kind of in the late summer and fall. And one of the reasons why allergy seasons are so more intense is because the growing seasons are longer. So the first frost will generally kill off the ragweed so they won't pollinate. But until then, it can be miserable for people with allergies and asthma. And then as you get further along in the fall, then you'll have leaf mold because as leaves fall from trees, then you have the mold that grows on, on those leaves. And, and that will uh, then extend your allergy season as well. You know, what we're seeing in terms of the weather tie-in with this, as we talked, I think, a little bit about last time as well, is, you know, we're getting longer stretches of niceness in areas farther north now with the climate evolving as it is. And so, like you said, the growing seasons are getting longer and longer. I mean, my dahlias last, you know, it could be could be mid to late October till we get that first really killer frost around here in Pennsylvania. And that seems, you know, two to three weeks later than I remember it um, as a kid a bit. Yeah, that's exactly right. Even in the, because of warmer climates, the growing season will start sooner so, and there'll be more intense releases of pollen. Also because of uh, climate change, additional carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. 
And then in the fall, as we're talking about right now, it, that that first frost doesn't come until much later because it is warmer. And that first frost helps us because it kills off that ragweed and prevents them from pollinating. I think for me, at least, Kenny, the, the, the key is getting on a regimen and sticking to it, right? That, you know, where you can find and work with your doctor or your allergist as, as depending on the severity of your symptoms and then find the over-the-counter and that mix that works for you, but you got to keep on it. I, I know when I, yeah. you know, forget a day or so, and all of a sudden, you know, the next day I can feel it. Oh, I forgot, you know, and, and I think that's the big key that people, you know, when they find the right regimen and stuff that they got, and they need to stick to it. Yeah, absolutely. And meeting and, and visiting with your doctor uh, is really important. You know, ideally you would have started your allergy treatment in the summer, to prepare for this mid-September burst of ragweed. Uh, but uh, you do want to meet with your doctor. He'll prescribe to you whatever you need in terms of over-the-counter medications or maybe consider allergy shots. Those are alternatives for you that could really help things. My personal experience, for example, with, uh, you know, I met with years ago as my asthma reacted because allergies are a trigger for asthma. I couldn't understand why my general practitioner told me, well, keep taking your allergy medication and I realized what it was is because allergies will trigger my asthma. Mm -hmm. So people need to, that, to your point, people need to stay on top of their medications in order to not have the spiral out of control, especially if you have asthma and allergies are a trigger for your asthma. In fact, uh, this third week of September, which we're uh, just coming uh, in and out of here, uh, depending on the way you look at the calendar, this is like asthma peak week, right? Uh, are you guys seeing that come to fruition? Are we having an uptick in these cases here as we get into this real high uh, season with the, uh, the the fall allergies? And then also, you know, air quality issues, smoke and and problems and and, and COVID as well. You know, we're, we're in the middle of it right now. So we'll We'll see what happens, especially because kids are going back to school. And, you know, I often get asked, why does asthma peak in September? So you've got a number of things happening. The ragweed that we talked about, um, which is the most common fall allergy, uh, mold counts go up because of the leaves outside. And then children are back to school. And once they go back to school, they're exposed to respiratory illnesses. And then you have flu starting as well. So those three things can all be triggers if you have asthma. And 25% of the childhood asthma hospitalizations, uh, the statistics show, happen in September. And not only childhood, but, but, you know, others. So it first starts with young kids, and then it starts to evolve to, you know, older adults. That's what the science reports. Uh, and, and that's why we call this peak week in September and try to get everyone to brace for it. You know, that uh, is there, are there any things that you want to make people aware of as we get ready to make that turn that in from fall to winter in terms of their health in terms of asthma sure. and allergies? Sure. In, in particular, um, if you have asthma, the number one thing is stick to your asthma action plan. You should work on that with your doctor. We have a form on our website. You know, it's standard best practice to have an asthma action plan if you have asthma. Uh, then again, get the COVID-19 vaccine. That's really important. There are three options that are available right now if you haven't gotten it already. And then also get a flu shot because that is a trigger for, for asthma. And then there are also the pneumonia pneumococcal vaccines, which you could consider and talk to your doctor about. So those are some of the immediate things. And then obviously what we've all been living with is wearing a mask, 
That's really important. Um, washing your hands often, you know, at least 20 seconds. All the protocols that we had during COVID really don't go away because that, you know, transitions into flu season and, and really know what your asthma triggers are. So then once you're, because this all happens now, once you start to transition to being indoors and sometimes your indoor air quality can be worse than the outdoor air quality. So you need to know what your triggers are inside your home. You could go to our website, aafa.org. We've got a healthy home graphic and you can look at the different areas where you really need to take uh, some precautions and look at the allergens in your home. And then we have this certified asthma and allergy friendly uh, program and air filters that you could have in your home's furnace or heater, which will help you indoors. The other thing that I, I just thought of too, Kenny, is as, as we look at this uh, whole situation as, as you go forward, this relationship between health and uh, our, our ability to fight uh, COVID as the new variants come out and, and the way viruses work, we're obviously going to continue to see that. I mean, it, it's important to keep up on every part of your health. And I think, you know, as we've gone through the last 18 to 24 months with the focus on COVID, we've lost focus on some of the other parts of our daily health that, again, I think all contribute. So, you know, I know personally, my partner had to pause his allergy shots for a while, but then needed to get back onto that regimen. And, you know, I still see some people that aren't back to their regimens that they need to be on to battle and, and, and deal with asthma and allergies. And I think that's an important message, too, that, you know, you really need to take the time because push comes to shove. If you do, even vaccinated, have to fight with COVID again, the healthier you are overall, the better you are equipped to fight the virus. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you get to some basics here. You get a good night's sleep, stay hydrated. The, those are some of the basics. Stick with your medication, check in with your doctor as you enter the w winter time frame as well. I mean, so those are all basics that we really need to stay on top of if we want to maintain our health. Kenny, anything else that you would like to tell folks here as we, uh, you know, what are some resources that are available uh, on your website or there that folks might take uh, health-wise? Yeah, de definitely. If you go to our website, aafa.org uh, slash join, again, you could join completely for free and access an online community and there are different chat groups in there. They're moderated by our staff and you can get questions answered. We have a medical scientific council that is an ask the allergist. So you can also get your questions answered there. Uh, we compile them after a week or so and then try and get back to folks. So that's, um, that's the resource that's available. I just want to put in one plug here because, uh, you know, on the coronavirus stuff, there's a lot of misinformation that has gone around. Mm -hmm. And if you go to our website, you go to our homepage, we have uh, a big billboard there about hydrogen peroxide. And, you know, there's a guy out there who's talking about, you know, using hydrogen peroxide in your nebulizer. And that's just absolutely dangerous and wrong. If you go to our website, you can read a little bit more about that. It's in the news just kind of the last few days. Um, but I think that's really important for, for listeners to know that, that that's a no-no and there's no way you would ever want to do that. It's uh, it's really getting scary how this uh, these things are getting spread in terms of health. And, you know, I I just saw that and since the last time we were talked, you were elected president of the um, National Health Council Board of Directors. Um, so other organizations like AAFA, including what American Cancer Society, Heart Association, all of those 
it's got to be challenging times for all of these folks who have, you know, messages that are important to our health and it's all being drowned out by certain misinformation. It's, it's got to be a real challenging time for folks who are trying to get the right information out, Kenny. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for mentioning that. I actually just joined the board of the national health council, not president. Um, but I joined as a board oh, member, my, but we, my bad. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I was giving you, I was giving yeah, you a little, you got uh, me a promotion. Uh, well, there you go. Um, and then I also joined the board of the leapfrog group, which is a watchdog for hospitals. And, you know, again, we all have to partner and work together and have trust in science and trust in, you know, the medical community, get the right information out there. And, you know, that's what we do. If people could join through our website, we will communicate that uh, information to you on a regular basis. Cause we, see ourselves as a trusted source and a trusted advocate for the asthma and allergy community. Kenny, it was a pleasure spending time with you again. I don't think we should wait so long till we do it again. Yeah, definitely. Let's check in this winter and see how the indoor air stuff is going. Sounds great. For the latest information from AAFA, the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, you can go to their Twitter account, AAFA National. Again, that's AAFA National on Twitter. And then you go to their website, aafa.org. And again, all kinds of great information there to uh, get the information and resources you need for allergies, for the flu, for COVID-19 and allergy and asthma interactions. It's really good information. So check that out. We're also going to get some really good information from our senior vice president, who's in charge of our uh, business services and our communications and also our chief forecaster, John Porter is coming into the studio next. And we're going to talk about some uh, ideas about increased infrastructure spending when it comes to weather based on some of the disasters of flooding we've seen, especially with Ida in New York City. And we'll take a weather look at the weekend ahead and the week beyond. That's coming up next on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Plan your day with confidence and find out what the weather means for you. Join AccuWeather meteorologist Bernie Reno Monday through Friday for Weather Insider. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. This is our back-to-school episode where we have turned the calendar to fall, and we are going to be talking about the weather for this upcoming weekend and the week beyond with our chief meteorologist, John Porter. And John, it's good to have you with us here as we roll into this first full weekend of fall. wanted to talk a little bit before we get into the nitty-gritty about what the weather looks like this upcoming weekend and the, and the next week, because I know you and I had talked, uh, there was a news story over the last week or so that as we drop this podcast, we're about three weeks after the flooding disaster that New York City and that area had with Ida. And then, of course, the week before that, we had Henri. And then a week or so before that, we had Fred. And so we've had all these flooding situations. And so uh, about a week or so ago, the two senators from New York State, Charles Schumer, Chuck Schumer and uh, Kristen Gildebrand, came out and said that they were going to put forth legislation to try to increased funding for weather. And they were pretty much looking at the infrastructure of instrumentation so that we could, I think, measure rains and flooding rains as we're coming down. And certainly as we drop this podcast, we're coming off another flooding rain situation in the New York City area. So I think this is top of mind awareness here, John. I did a podcast with uh, our friends, uh, John Montone at 1010 Winds earlier this week. And 
you know, look, I'm always encouraged when politicians and those in the public sector are talking about making sure the infrastructure is better. Um, But I'm wondering if some of that focus could be pushed more, not only just the nuts and bolts of the equipment that we're looking at, but also in a couple of things like how we forecast the forecast information that we get ahead of these storms. And then also the communication process, because I'm still having issues here going into this event that we're just coming through trying to tell people the severity and the uh, intensity of the flooding and what to expect. Um, I think that's a a situation that we really continue to look at here at AccuWeather and throughout the enterprise of weather, throughout the public, private and media sector. Well, Dean, you're right. It's always good to be with you, by the way. And I think there's there's a there's a lot to unpack there. So let me uh, there's several issues that I think are important. First is that the importance and severity of flooding events. And as you said, Dean, we have seen event after event here of life-threatening flash flooding across the eastern United States this summer. It's been the summer of flash flooding uh, on a result of several different weather situations. And I think one thing that comes to mind is that we need as a society to start taking these flooding events just as seriously as we do snow events. So if we were talking about, take uh, the Ida situation, for example, where here at AccuWeather, we had called days in advance for four to eight inches of rain that was going to come fast and furious and result in dangerous flash flooding, uh, which is exactly what ended up happening across the New York City and New Jersey areas. If that same forecast was during the winter, and we were talking about four to eight inches of snow falling at a couple of inches per hour, we know what would have happened. Officials would have taken proactive action. There would have been travel bans. Airports would have been shuttered, things of that nature. We need to have that same kind of life-saving infrastructure and decision process and advanced planning that we have for snowstorms for these big rain events. Because if we had that and we put, for example, officials were able to put travel bans on in front of the storm based on our highly accurate forecast, I think that would have saved lives and made a big impact. So I think that's number one. We've got to definitely take those seriously, those events more seriously and use the same kind of life-saving infrastructure that we have for snow. Now, on the point about investments in the observations, critical. And as yeah. you said, it's it's right. Uh, anytime that uh, political officials are talking about maintaining the infrastructure, that's important because sometimes we forget there's a whole observation infrastructure, weather radar, satellites, ground-based observation, rain gauges that power the entire weather enterprise. And we've got to have good funding for that. Um, and in New York State in particular, they have a really unique mesonet, right. which is a observation network, there's at least one in every county. And in some places like New York City, there's a lot of rain gauges and anemometers and other weather instrumentation, which is really helpful in an event. But we've also got to invest in better high performance computing so that we can run these high resolution ensemble forecasts, as we call them, Dean, which, you know, here at AccuWeather, you and I and all of our other expert meteorologist colleagues, we look at over 170 forecast models. Yes, we do. These high-resolution models, which allow the atmospheric processes to be simulated in a a really unique way, are a key tool that are used across the weather enterprise from a predictive perspective. And there's just not enough of them yet. And that's an area that we need to continue to advance. There's not enough of them. And and, then also, I think there's still... Not enough, um, you know, I kind of call it like a fusion between 
the numerical and the modeling stuff and then just good old common sense and experience based on what we see as forecasters. So there always has to be that fusion because let's face it, if we were just going by the modeling numbers for that Ida event, they missed that total rainfall numbers going into it a couple of days out. I mean, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, things started to ramp up, but you know, part of that is uh, some of us recognized early of the the setup of that, a tropical based system coming into an area that had a kind of a stalled out front, this thing that's, uh, you know, it's, it, it looked like a land cane over the, uh, upper Midwest. I mean, it was definitely a spin of this closed off low and it sent that river of atmospheric moisture. You know, Detroit got crushed on Wednesday, Wednesday night, still dealing with showers on Thursday, that wall of water going through eastern, central and eastern Pennsylvania, then uh, late in the day on Wednesday into Thursday morning and then making its approach to New York City. I think, uh, you know, in these events, especially the, the key is how quickly we can ramp up watches to warnings. And that was the message that I had on wins with this event is sometimes, you know, we're telling you things and you don't want to take an action until you hear it come out as a warning from officials. But it, that may be lagged a little bit. You know, I, I honestly that that if we're telling you things and you're seeing stuff happen, that you start to need to take action and, and listen closely uh, more readily. And, and I think that's kind of where, especially with the rain situation can the, the, the situation can get more dire more quickly than mm-hmm. it can with maybe the snow situation, which takes a little longer for those worse impacts to mount up. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and I think it goes back to, again, taking action based on the forecast. And we do that as a, as a society based on snow very well. And as you said, the flash flooding and these extreme rain events are different in the sense that 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 life-threatening impacts can mount in a matter of minutes. Minutes, right, yes. Versus snow, right? That water, I think that's a key point because in New York City, we were concerned about it. That's why we were describing it as coming down fast and furious. Streets turned into torrents of water and look like rivers in a matter of minutes because that rainfall rate just like it's so important with snow, how fast it's coming down, even more so with rain, when that rainfall rate gets two or two and a half, three inches per hour, that's just all that water coming down and and, uh, into that urban environment in New York City in particular, just can't deal with that. And so that's why when we say that things can happen fast, a point you made is a really key thing. And again, a little bit of it, just like we say with a lot of things, a little bit of advanced preparation can go a long way. And and that's why I'm mentioning about city officials taking that proactive action. You know, there was a Yankees game that night in, in New York City. There were people driving around and on the mm. streets, just Sean. like normal things were going on, right? Yet yeah. we knew as a weather community about how serious that threat was. We just have got to be more proactive based on those forecasts going forward because we know with climate change, let's make no mistake about it. These events, these extreme rainfall events, they're getting more frequent. And the magnitude and the impacts are growing more significant. Of course, uh, you heard the story. John Sterling, the longtime uh, voice of the Yankees, got actually stuck in some flooding. And the uh, Spanish radio voice, Ricky Ricardo for the Yankees, actually had to rescue him in that situation. So, yeah, it's um, yeah, interesting thing. So obviously we're not thinking that the rainfall rates approach that two to three inches of an hour uh, as we go through this event. But we're going to certainly have some residual flooding. Uh, in that New York City area, some uh, ponding on roads and flooding in border areas as that heavy rain finally moves out. 
as we take a look, John, at the weekend and beyond, I think one of the things that we keep seeing is in these uh, areas of low pressure or uh, fronts that come through that sometimes they uh, stall along the coast and maybe another little wave of low pressure could run along it. And that's something I think we have to be concerned about. I don't think uh, certainly by late in the day, Friday, Friday evening, we're pretty dried out, if not completely dried out in New York City. But I think Boston will be going through rain and there may even be some lingering showers around the Boston area into Saturday morning. It looks like both uh, areas along the I-95 corridor from that point, uh, New York northward, look great on Sunday. I'll tell you, a good place to be in the southeast this weekend to me is mm. uh, or a good place to be in the country this weekend is the southeast. Very comfortable first weekend of fall there. It's going to warm up in the middle of the plains. And, uh, you know, we were talking with our friends in St. Louis uh, this week. You know, they're going, uh, they've been enjoying a, a fresh taste of fall here as uh, it arrived on Thursday. The equinox occurred, a little warm up and then a little cool down. And then it warms back up as we get into early next week. And as we go through the weekend, we're seeing some monsoonal moisture start to come up back at the folks in the four corners, uh, especially parts of Arizona and uh, New Mexico. And some showers up in the Pacific Northwest, the very distant corner of that. But a lot of dry weather and not particularly uh, stormy or windy or things like that out west, which is good news after the summer we've had out there. Yeah, Dean, that was actually the piece that really strikes me about this weekend. And you mentioned, I think it's going to be beautiful in the southeast, a breath of fresh air, mm. uh, a really comfortable weather across the southeast and warming up a bit, as you said, in the plains. But the thing that strikes me about this weekend is the relative calm across, on average, across the country. We've been dealing with a pretty amplified weather pattern in the last uh, several weeks, lots of tropical moisture that we've been dealing with in various uh, parts of the central and eastern United States. And so on average, while there are going to be a few trouble spots, as you mentioned, on average, we're going to be talking about a pretty calm weekend versus yeah. the weather pattern that we've been dealing with lately. So that's uh, absolutely a welcome relief. You know, we had that big storm that went through the middle of the country this week and up into and then these flooding rains along the eastern seaboard. And that mess is going up into Atlantic Canada. But you're right. We're getting back to where we were in that time frame a little bit right after the three mm -hmm. uh, storms that went up through the eastern seaboard in a row where it's just kind of it, it's it's a little calmness. First part of next week looks pretty quiet. Obviously, we've been seeing storms out in the Atlantic still form been staying out to sea um we still got to keep our concerns and our eyes on the atlantic basin we still got some time left and on obviously warm waters in places that still are ripe for development here in the atlantic basin over the next couple of weeks we we do and sam is going to be one to watch here uh, the uh, atlantic ocean and the question whether sam will be drawn further to the north or remain to the south and on more of a westerly heading that that's going to be the real key question uh, as to whether there's uh, significant land impacts down the road. And it's too early to make that call at the moment. But uh, I think that's going to be the storm certainly to be watching over the next couple of days. We're talking about uh, it becoming a major hurricane here, Dean, as mm -hmm. we make our way through Monday and Tuesday east of the Lesser Antilles. So still out over the open Atlantic and there's going to be time to watch. But I do think that's going to be an important storm next week. Yeah, we got to keep an eye on that. And you can do that on your AccuWeather app with our great hurricane tracker feature. And that's oh, yeah. been a very, very Big popular hit. Yep. feature. Big hit because it's got more data and more tools, more tracking capabilities than any other weather mobile app out there, all for free. Just easily download it, as you mentioned, out of the App Store, search AccuWeather or Google Play on Android. And what's neat about it is you can not only just track all the storms and where they're at, zoom in, zoom out. 
but there's different impact layers that you can turn on. So you can see where heavy rainfall is that uh, we're going to be expecting, where the highest winds are going to be. And people have told us that they love that because if they're planning on evacuating an area or maybe leaving where they're at on vacation early, they can figure out, hey, where is a safer place to be? So all that is right on your uh, right on your fingertips. The other thing I would uh, always recommend people to do is on our app, turn on push notifications because yes. that allows us to be able to send you government issued weather warnings instantly within seconds. Seconds, um, yep. and, and it's all, what's really neat about it, it's all localized right down to your specific place. So you're not gonna get something that's not relevant to you. If it, if it gets pushed to your phone, it's relevant to your specific location. So that's a big thing. And then the other thing I would mention, Dean, uh, our expert team here has been working so hard in the last several months dealing with all these uh, various severe weather events. And you know, we treat each one of these as an opportunity to help people make the right decisions to keep enhance their safety and keep them better prepared. And we've been putting all kinds of extra detail into our day-by-day forecasting. So when you look at the app and see sunny, you know, 75 degrees, you tap on that uh, particular day, you're going to get detail. Like, for example, we've been talking about things like significant flash flooding, risk for uh, major flooding. Those kinds of impacts our expert team is putting in uh, into our, our forecast on a routine basis. It's a great way to stay up to date what's happening. And not only for bad weather, we're talking about great say, weather. I was going to say, yeah, good weather, weather stuff for, too. Great, great weather for the weekend. And also we're highlighting great weather for upcoming state fairs that are obviously going on in many parts of the country here as we speak. And uh, football games or outdoor events like NASCAR races, those kinds of things in localized areas. It's great. I had a lot of great comments about that. And it looks like uh, you and I will enjoy a pretty decent Penn State football afternoon on Saturday. John, it's always great to spend time with you. Thanks so much for the time and your perspective. And we'll talk soon here on Everything Under the Sun. Look forward to it. Thank you. Well, to John's point, as this podcast has dropped, Sam has become a hurricane. And then hurricane track that we have on AccuWeather.com and our apps shows you that as of uh, this uh, podcast dropping, it looks like this uh, could strengthen to a major hurricane as it tracks all the way through the Atlantic. It is certainly something you want to kind of keep an eye on, especially if you've got interest along the eastern seaboard and likelihood that it stays offshore, but we can't guarantee that, especially with this situation going forward. So please make sure that you're checking in on that aspect with the AccuWeather.com forecast on your app, on our website, and with all our great media partners as we uh, take a look at the weekend and the week beyond as well. The local weather is so important as well, and you can get it up to the minute on your app. Now, look, next week we're going to take a look at fall foliage as we get ready to do some leaf peeping. It looks like there's some concern about all the rain and wind and wetness and how that's affecting folks in New England, but then we'll see about other parts of the country too. And we'll keep uh, figuring out how we can get you the information where weather meets your life. For our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb and all of our great AccuWeather team, have a great day and we'll start the fall series next week right here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com.